I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. In today's reading, we'll be looking at Ezekiel chapters 18 and 19. In chapter 18, we find a passage where Ezekiel deals with them blaming it on their ancestors. Chapter 18, verse 1. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, saith the Lord, ye shall not have occasion any more to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But if a man be just, and do that which is lawful and right, and hath not eaten upon the mountain, neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither hath defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath come near to a menstruous woman, and hath not oppressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his pledge, hath spoiled none by violence, hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment. He that hath not given forth upon usury, neither hath taken any increase, that hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity, hath executed true judgment between man and man, hath walked in my statutes, and hath kept my judgments to deal truly. He is just, he shall surely live, saith the Lord God. If he beget a son that is a robber, a shedder of blood, and he that doeth alike to any one of these things, and that doeth not any of those duties, but even hath eaten upon the mountains that defiled his neighbor's wife, hath oppressed the poor needy, hath spoiled by violence, hath not restored the pledge, and hath lifted up his eyes to the idols, hath committed abomination, hath given a forth upon usury, and hath taken increase, shall he then live? He shall not live. He hath done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. Now, lo, if he beget a son that seeth all his father's sins, which he hath done, and considereth and doeth not such like, that hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, hath not defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath suppressed any, hath not withholden the pledge, neither hath spoiled by violence, but hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with the garment, that hath taken off his hand from the poor, and hath not received usury nor increase, hath executed my judgments, hath walked in my statutes. He shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, spoiled his brother by violence, and did that which is not good among his people, lo, even he shall die in his iniquity. Yet say ye, Why? Doth not the Son bear the iniquity of the Father? When the Son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes, and hath done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, 
he shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned in his trespass that he hath trespassed, and in his sin that he hath sinned, in them he shall die. Yet say ye, the way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? When a righteous man turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and dieth in them, for his iniquity that he hath done, shall he die. Again, when the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness that he hath committed and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive, because he considereth and turneth away from all his trespasses that he hath committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet saith the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. Well, the stage is set here for this chapter in the first three verses. These exiled Jews insisted that they were being punished solely because of the sins of their forefathers and not because of their own sins. They had an old saying back then. It was a proverb, but not one of Solomon's proverbs, and here it was. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. We see them quoting that in verse 2. Jeremiah repeats the old proverb, as well as in Jeremiah 31:29, just before he outlines the new covenant. He does it in both places. It was a saying of conventional wisdom among those sinning Jews, even though it was not true in this situation, at least not to the extent to which they were applying it. Let's be clear about the incorrect nature of their assertion. They had absolved themselves of personal responsibility for God's wrath in the fall of Jerusalem. They claimed it happened because of the sins of their forefathers and not because of their own sins. Israel, Judah, Jerusalem had incorrectly applied the message of Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5, and Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9. Let's take a look at the words of Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5 that were being incorrectly adopted by these exiles. Here's Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Those exiles were keying in on that third and fourth generation clause in Exodus 20, verse 5. Never mind that they still had their own idols, with which they couldn't seem to part. 
While it is true that the decisions made by our ancestors have an impact on our own lives, Ezekiel carefully, I mean very carefully, goes through several scenarios in this chapter to hold these contemporary Jews personally responsible for their own sins, and thus the fall of the land into captivity and punishment. He explains that Exodus 20 verse 5 was given as a logical consequence to sin, but was never intended to lock descendants into an impossible-to-do-right situation. These exiled Jews saw their beloved city Jerusalem destroyed because they themselves served other gods and idols. Ezekiel is very clear that he intends to put a stop to the use of this proverb when he speaks on behalf of God in verse 3. Here's what he says. As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion any more to use this proverb in Israel. Ezekiel then sets the stage for three examples to illustrate the point of verse 4. Here's that verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. We're talking individual accountability for sin when he proclaims this, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel very specifically lists three scenarios to make his point about individual accountability. Scenario number one, verses five through nine. Identify a man who keeps the law himself, who finds favor in God's eyes. Scenario number two, verses 10 through 13, identify the actions of a wicked son, of a law-keeping father, the one seen in scenario one. And finally, his third scenario is found in verses 14 through 17. This scenario identifies the law-keeping son of a wicked father, the one seen in scenario two. Ezekiel sums up these scenarios in verses five through 17 the same way he introduced them in verse four by saying in verse 20, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of his father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. In other words, sons don't pay for father's sins, and fathers don't pay for son's sins. Everyone pays for their own sins. If you're looking for the bottom line of this chapter, read verse 30. It says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. The exiles were paying for their own sins and not the sins of their ancestors. He concludes the discussion of their sin by answering their criticisms regarding God's consistency in verse 25. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal, are not your ways unequal? These wicked Jews apparently are forwarding the proposition that wickedness was more prevalent during the time of their ancestors, yet they did not fall into captivity, and that's not fair. In verse 29, Ezekiel tells them that they should not be pointing their fingers at God's inconsistency when they themselves are the inconsistent ones the unequal ones. God's solution is seen in verse 30. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Incidentally, many people who fail to rightly divide the word of truth have taken this chapter way out of context and taken it away from that 
applying to the fall of Jerusalem, and they try to maintain that there is a universal message of spiritual salvation and loss of salvation here for New Testament believers. They take the physical death and punishment spoken of here in chapter 18 and convert the concept from physical death to spiritual death. You'll find in nearly all of these misuses of this passage that they have no clue about the specifics of which Ezekiel is really speaking here. Likewise, they have done the same thing with Ezekiel's comments about his responsibility to warn the Jews in Ezekiel chapter 3, and they've done it again in Ezekiel chapter 33. One only needs to read the list of sins identified in verses 5 to 9 to realize that it is improper to abuse this passage by identifying it with Christians living today. Again, to clarify, the exiles are being told that their nation has been terminated because of their own wickedness before God, not the wickedness of their forefathers. That brings us to Ezekiel chapter 19, where we see Israel pictured as a lioness. Verse 1, Moreover, take thou up a lamentation for the princes of Israel, and say, What is thy mother? A lioness. She lay down among lions. She nourished her whelps among young lions. And she brought up one of her whelps. It became a young lion, and it learned to catch the prey. It devoured men. The nations also heard of him. He was taken in their pit. And they brought him with chains into the land of Egypt. Now when she saw that she had waited and her hope was lost, then she took another of her whelps and made him a young lion. And he went up and down among the lions. He became a young lion and learned to catch the prey and devoured men. And he knew their desolate places and he laid waste their cities and the land was desolate and the fullness thereof by the noise of his roaring. Then the nation set against him on every side from the provinces and spread their net over him. He was taken in their pit, and they put him in ward and chains and brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him into holds that his voice should no more be heard upon the mountains of Israel. Ezekiel does a lion metaphor on Israel here. Israel is the lioness. Ezekiel's metaphor is very specific here as he implicates the last kings of Judah. The first whelp referenced here in verses 3 and 4, is Jehoahaz. He was placed on the throne by the Judeans following the death of his father, Josiah, in 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 31 through 33. Verse 3 identifies him as an evil king. And verse 4 mentions his fate, death, after being taken as a prisoner to Egypt by Pharaoh Necho in 609 B.C. The second whelp, verse 5, was Jehoiakim's son, Jehoiakim. He's found in 2 Kings 24, verses 8 through 17, and 2 Chronicles 36, verses 8 through 10. He was evil also, verses 6 and 7, and was taken to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar in 597 B.C. That's found in verses 8 and 9. Now, maybe that's a little confusing to you, but I'll tell you what let's do. Let's take a look at the last five kings of Judah and see if we can offer some clarification. First of all, there was Josiah. He reigned from 640 to 609, and he was the very last good king of Judah. His account is found in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Then Jehoahaz, after Josiah's death, became the king, but only for three months. He's found in 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 31 through 33. He was taken captive to Egypt 
thus leaving Judah's throne vacant. He fits the description of Ezekiel's first whelp. Then there was Jehoiakim in 609 to 598 B.C., Josiah's wicked son, older than Jehoahaz. He's found in 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 1 through 8, and 2 Chronicles 36, verses 1 through 7. Jehoiakim was placed on the throne by Egyptian Pharaoh Necho when his brother was taken to prison in Egypt. After the Babylonians moved into Judah in 605 B.C., Apparently, Jehoiakim was removed from the throne to Babylon for a period, and his son Jehoiakim served in his place. It is likely that Jehoiakim served in his father's absence as a regent and before Jehoiakim was returned to the throne. Jehoiakim fully assumed the throne after the death of Jehoiakim. Then there was Jehoiakim, 598 to 597 B.C. He was a grandson of Josiah and a son of Jehoiakim. He's found in 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 8 through 17, and 2 Chronicles 36, verses 8 through 10. As I mentioned a few moments ago, he perhaps served as regent during his father Jehoiakim's imprisonment in Babylon, and then succeeded his father to the throne after his death. After his short reign, Nebuchadnezzar took him to prison in Babylon for 37 years and placed his uncle Zedekiah on the throne of Judah in his place. He fits the description of Ezekiel's second whelp. And finally, there was Zedekiah. Zedekiah reigned from 597 to 586 B.C. He was another of Josiah's wicked sons, seen in 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 17 through 20, and 2 Chronicles 36, verses 11 through 16. Zedekiah was placed on the throne by Nebuchadnezzar, but he later rebelled against the Babylonian king. As a result, when Jerusalem was captured, Zedekiah's sons were killed right before his eyes, and that was just before his eyes were gouged out. Subsequently, blind Zedekiah spent the rest of his days in a Babylonian prison. Ezekiel is prophesying here around 592-591 BC, and it's during the reign of Zedekiah, and that's based upon the fact that his prophecies are listed sequentially. Ezekiel chapter 8 has a date on it. It's date stamped at 592 B.C. And Ezekiel 20 is dated 591 B.C. Then we have Israel pictured as a vine in Ezekiel 19, beginning with verse 10. Thy mother is like a vine in thy blood, planted by the waters. She was fruitful and full of branches by reason of many waters. And she had strong rods of the scepters of them that bear rule. And her stature was exalted among thick branches. And she appeared in her height with the multitude of her branches. But she was plucked up in fury. She was cast down to the ground, and the east wind dried up her fruit. Her strong rods were broken and withered. The fire consumed them. And now she is planted in the wilderness, in a dry and thirsty ground. And fire has gone out of the rod of her branches, which hath devoured her fruit, so that she hath no strong rod to be a scepter to rule. This is a lamentation, and shall be for a lamentation. Here's what the imagery shows in uh, verse 10. The vine is Israel prospering in Canaan. We see that in verses 10 and 11. Then Israel's sins chiseled away at their strength until the east wind, being Babylon, overcame them. That's in verse 12. Verse 13, we see the exile of the people of Israel. And verse 14, we see the demise of Judah and Israel. And that brings us to the end of our reading today of Ezekiel chapters 18 and 19. 
This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.